Welcome everyone to a very special episode of the Phone Buzz Podcast. If you're new to us or if you've been with us since episode one, this is going to be a different type of episode. Joining me this week is Chris Bentliff. Uh, he's the founder and owner of Not Really Rocket Science, which is a digital marketing agency based in San Diego. I first came across Chris from his YouTube channel, um, also named Not Really Rocket Science, in which he looks at technology not from a spec perspective necessarily, but from a more personal connection with the tech itself and to some extent, our emotional connection with it. It's the reason we buy the new iPhone every year, despite the fact that we could hold on to it for five years. Uh, maybe you're not like that with technology. Maybe it's cars or clothes or makeup, if you're Evan. Uh, Chris has a series of videos that reveal how companies like Apple convince us to do exactly that and how they play to our psychology and buying behaviors. For those that don't know, when not recording the podcast, I... Uh, Christian Crawford, work with the marketing division of the USA Today Network. So naturally, Chris's videos on tech and marketing really caught my attention. And again, this is a different sort of episode for us, but if you don't care about marketing, I still think you'll find it interesting and engaging. We talk about the future of Apple, um, some of the Apple Watch Hermes stuff. It, it kind of goes a lot of places. It's, it's a lot of fun. So without further ado, roll that intro, Ivanka. All right. Uh, Chris, thank you so much for joining us on the Phone Buzz podcast. Hey, thanks for having me. I'm glad to be here. Absolutely. So I gave the audience kind of a sort of surface level background, but I didn't want to give away too much information. Um, so how did you get into technology in the first place? I got into technology, I suppose, like every kid does through video games. And um, <laughs> that was my, you know, initial fascination with the capabilities of it. But I really got serious about technology when I was in college and I was studying music technology and the production of it. And I got really fascinated with the ways that the different instruments could speak to the computers. And then inside of a studio, how you could manipulate all kinds of things happening using the technology and how that was emerging into at the time. It was emerging into really sophisticated computer uh, stuff and that's where I was introduced to the Mac. That's where I was introduced to some really primitive early um, programming, some really early uh, user interface stuff. Uh, a program called HyperCard, and that all mm. kind of coalesced into just a real interest and a keen fascination. But I can draw a straight line actually to the video game Mist and what <laughs> I do for a living because that game I couldn't believe. Um, it was like reading a novel. I couldn't believe the emotions that it was able to stir and how it married graphic design and story and music and sound and all these things. And anyway, mm -hmm. from there, it just, um, it's been a constant fascination with how things work. When I was a, a, a small, when I was a kid, I would take things apart. I would take apart whatever, uh, whatever I could get, really get my hands on, uh, a home stereo, a video game system I took apart. And sometimes I could put it back together and sometimes I couldn't, but I was always fascinated with how it worked and what the gears inside did. And could I understand that in a way? And then if I could put it back together and it worked again, then that must have meant that I came to some level of understanding of it. <laughs> All of that. And that was before of, that was before iPhones could take pictures of it and you could just kind of reverse engineer. Oh yeah, it. for sure. For sure. No, it was a lot of it was a lot of like what does this do? And if I take this apart, does it snap or does it come apart easily? Like am I just breaking it or am I is this meant to come apart? I was just trying to understand what different things did. 
And, uh, you mm. know, that's how we got familiar with the soldering iron in the first place. And, you know, all this kind of real sort of tactile, hands-on stuff that just ultimately led to a fascination with, with how these things work, who builds them, what are they thinking when they build them. I'm fascinated with all of it. And we kind of talked about this last week, but and you mentioned it just a second ago. Um, you had an actually an educational background in music, yeah. and uh, just just for audience reference and just for your reference, I'm 24, so I was born in 1996. So when you talk about the the early dawn of computer and how that interface with music, that was like maybe maybe whenever I was one or two years old. Um, so w- what time frame was it when you know computers were just interacting? not even in an analog form, but in a digital form with the music world. It was right around then. I was actually uh, I was actually at the Berklee College of Music studying music production and engineering in 1996. So, okay. <laughs> uh, and, and actually, you know, one of the last sort of, there was a, back in the day before tools, uh, apps like, well, like GarageBand, but like Pro Tools or, you know, Logic or any of these things, you literally spliced tape together to put two butt ends together of, you know, if you needed to take out some part of a song or put something together or whatever, you literally cut it with a razor and you taped it. And I remember we had I can't a class. Imagine. It was like one of the last <laughs> classes where they did that. And then you'd leave that class and go right over to a Pro Tools class. And it was, why are we still learning this stuff? But it was right when, <laughs> you know, it was right when that was emerging as a, a force for creation. And it's really mm-hmm. interesting because that, that, I sometimes look back at that uh, education and there was a time when, that sort of knowledge was really um, protected to those who could afford to get into it or who understood it well enough to get into it. You couldn't just be a guy in his right. dorm room with GarageBand, you know, chipping away at things and come up with something really cool. That You just didn't have the technology around you unless you were in some huge studio or whatever. And so it's a great illustration of the empowerment that technology has had for all of us to turn anybody into, you know, a potential composer or a pop star mm. or a film scorer or whatever, um, it just affords so much more opportunity. And I was right on the cusp of leaving analog and coming into digital uh, when I was in school. And so right, you know, I got my, I think I, I had my domain name given to me as a gift in 1998 or 99. <laughs> so it was very quickly after that steep descent into the internet becoming, you know, a big part of everybody's lives. I got to imagine that was, I mean, the only frame of reference I have to that is kind of like the rise of smartphone usage and the rise of social media usage. I'd have to imagine it was, it was similar to that in scale and how much it changed like, like day-to-day life. So that's, I find that fascinating. That's crazy. It was really, uh, looking back on it, you know, you could go to Barnes and Noble and buy a, a book on how to, how to, how to code HTML and build a website in a weekend. There was no WordPress. There was no Squarespace. There was no drag and drop page builders. It was, it was a lot of uh, hands-on stuff, which is fantastic because then if you, if that's how you learned now with how sophisticated the tools are, you can reverse engineer this stuff with much more elegance because you understand what the code means and what it does in -hmm. ways that you have to be more intentional about discovering now because it's so easy for you to just start dragging and dropping or whatever, build a, build a website in a weekend. And those days were interesting and raw and there were no rules. We didn't have an internet of things. We didn't know what this was going to lead to. There was no social media yet. So we didn't know, you know, the, the, for better or for worse. Yeah. For better or for worse. (laughs) We didn't really know the other edge of the, of the blade that was, Mm. you know, lurking around the internet. E-commerce hadn't taken off. And so brands 
hadn't really developed. Um, retail wasn't suffering in the way that it is now, uh, you know, brick and mortar yeah. retail. It was just a different era. We didn't know what it was going to become. I think it was yeah. just a knowledge transfer. And there was a time, like the early websites that were trying to be really interesting, I think Space Jam, the Michael Jordan movie Space Jam, that website is oh. literally still online for the movie. And is it really? It, yeah, it's 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 still online and it's still in all its '90s glory. Like those. Now they're trying to make a second one. I, hopefully, yeah, it takes. Yeah, up. they've got uh, LeBron James on deck, I think, to to do that. And you can LBJ? bet it'll be you know pretty pretty cool, pretty flashy. But yeah. you, they they try to do so many different things to create an experience with the flashy gifts and the you know it's just so weird. Now you look back and it's got this retro kind of nostalgia kind of to it, but. Mm-hmm. The, the uh, early, early message board, early forum. Yeah. Look. Yeah. You know, and, yep. um, MySpace was an example of that a lot of, a lot of coders got their start on MySpace just trying to figure out how to like, you know, customize their page with weird graphics or backgrounds or, or all these th- sorts of things. That's how mm-hmm. so many of us get started just trying to create something on our own. And then it, and that's actually, that, that's a great segue. Um, not, not to cut you off there. That's a great segue. Cause, um, like talking about your, your start into marketing. Cause, um, what I want to get into later and kind of a lot of the questions I have have to do with the marriage of that technology with the marketing. Yeah. Um, so, so how did, how did that come about? Like, how did those two pieces come together for you? It's another one of those, you know, you, you, in, in the moment you didn't know where it was, where it was headed. I never started with a grand plan to get to a certain space, but, um, that fascination with design and I was always, uh, kind of artistic. And so when I was in college, I would design, posters or covers for albums or whatever. And it was really just a means to an end. It was a a solution Mm -hmm. to a problem for myself and for my buddies or whatever. And it turns out that I enjoyed it and uh, it was somewhat in demand. And so I just kind of kept doing it. It was always interesting to me. And it wasn't until later I, uh, I was working at a small audio engineering or audio design firm in Minneapolis. And I designed a website for us. And our clients liked it so much. This was early 2000s. Not everybody had a website. And they were like, hey, could you, could you build one for us? So we built a little side Nobody splinter. needs a website. What are you no, talking right. about? No, right. <laughs> <laughs> what is that? HTTP <laughs> colon. You know, it was, it was all very new. And um, in fact, I have it on my wall right here next to me. I've had it on my, hanging on my wall ever since is a note from my dad from a, from a magazine in the in the mid nineties, making money on the web. And it introduces this weird guy, Jeff Bezos and his crazy company, amazon.com. And that guy's he, full of it. He doesn't yeah, know what he's, he's talking about. He's got a little note on it. It says, Hey, I thought you might find this interesting. And you know, I think that's interesting because <laughs> who knew where it was, where it was headed. But for me, the marketing yeah. then kind of came as a splinter off of the design. And I started designing websites for a living really into that. Started working with some big agencies in Minneapolis, really enjoyed it. Got really into Flash, uh, that technology in its heyday in the mid-2000s was really fun to design in and develop in. And those were in-demand skills for a time, and so I was really interested in that. And that parlayed into um, kind of a a stint working in e-learning and digital learning. And in doing Mm -hmm. that, I worked with a lot of great big brands and started to be more and more involved in their strategies, where they would come and say, we've got this amount of budget and we want to do this with it. And I would start asking hard questions about, well, why, why do you want to do that? And why do you want to spend that much money? What if we did this instead? And I found that my voice at that table was welcome. I was bringing up things people hadn't thought about and all it was, was marketing. It was just, it was just given a different word. And so about five years ago, I, I kind of turned all of that 
you know, 37 degrees and uh, focused entirely on digital marketing, building brands, building digital presences uh, for small businesses, for medium-sized businesses, for, uh, you know, those who, who knew that they needed to do this better than they were but didn't understand what they needed. I was the guy who could help them do that. And here we are. Now I'm a <laughs> guy who talks about technology and marketing a lot. And then actually, that is a fantastic segue, and that's a fantastic kind of uh, story into into kind of the the big questions I've gotten, some of the some of the tech related questions. So, uh, your most popular videos uh, on YouTube they focus primarily on the Apple Watch, specifically the collaborative editions between Apple and Hermes. Correct me if I'm saying that wrong, uh, which dates back to 2015. So these watches can cost, you know, two, three, four times the price of the standard models. And you even said it yourself in one of your reviews, nobody needs it. Right. Now, I know this is a loaded question, but why is the Apple Watch Hermes the one you wear every day? Assuming that's still the case. It is. It is still the case. Um, I, I talk about this in some of the YouTube videos. We have a, um, as, as our relationship with, with technology I mean, our, the empirical we, all of us, has matured. There's a lot about it that's really utilitarian, which is fine. And and I think that that is appropriate. But it's really about, does it do this thing for me? And if it does this thing for me, it's like my refrigerator. Does it keep things cold? Is it like my washing machine? Does it do? And that's that's cool. And there's a huge, probably high 90s percent of people for whom that's how they look at technology. It just exactly. is, it, it just solves some problem for them. I spend my every day, hours upon hours upon hours with technology, both as a product of my work and as a function of my own sort of personal uh, curiosity and interest and as just part of my personality and as part of how I solve problems. You know, I've got automations mm-hmm. running throughout my entire house all the time and I'm the nerd with the things that my wife is saying, why doesn't this just work? Because <laughs> I, why can't I just open this? And I'm like, no, no, no. Watch if you wave your hand instead. Like, the, I'm interested in that stuff. Yeah, yeah. So when you're surrounded with that stuff all day, the utility of it, for me, isn't as interesting as how does it feel for me to use it? I, I, I don't want to have an ambivalent relationship with technology. And especially, I say this in one of the videos, when technology can have such a predatory relationship with me, it wants me to do certain things. The 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 devices and the apps and the websites and the social media are engineered in a way to get me to behave in a certain way. And Mm -hmm. uh, so when I'm surrounded by these things all day, how they look and how they feel and how they function matters to me. And I've kind of got a a rule that if I have to touch a thing or spend a lot of time with a thing, headphones or a phone or a watch or an office chair, I want it to be as comfortable as it can be for me, but I also want to look forward to using it. I don't just want it to be another commodity around me or another utility. Not everything is like that, but a lot of cases, this is it. So the Hermes-Apple relationship, excuse me, the Apple-Hermes relationship is really interesting from a few different brand perspectives. Um, But what I really like about wearing the watch is really the Hermes leather. Uh, You know, Mm. it feels great and it kind of forms to to your wrist in a way where day after day after day after day, I don't take for granted that this thing is on my is on my person for like 12 or 14 hours a day. So I want it to be something that I enjoy and not just, right. you know, sort of passively 
spend time with. I understand. Yeah, and that's a and that's a kind of a relationship we have with technology a lot, or, or not. A, I guess I frame that the wrong way. Um, on the podcast, we we try to come at it kind of with both perspectives. Obviously, we have a podcast between three guys that are you know really enthusiastic about technology, and so it's easy to to sort of speak in terms of. Um, you know, the, the emotional, the, the relationship we have the te- with technology. But, you know, we worked at, um, insert electronic retailer, uh, we worked there and, you know, the people that come in, they don't have that sort of mindset. Like, it's like me with cars. I use this, uh, sort of analogy a lot. Like, I love my car, don't get me wrong, but at the end of the day, it gets me from point A to point B. And sure, some of the extras are nice on it, but I, I don't really, that's not where I live. Like, I love my technology because I love the, the little details about it. And, and so I think it's important to recognize that, um, you know, absolutely. Like we have that relationship with products in some areas, but everybody doesn't care. It's just a utility in, in other areas. Most people don't care. I mean, it's, yeah. And, and that's a real challenge for, for any technology brand to overcome because they've got marketing market segments that really do care. And then most that really don't care, but, but yeah, it is, it is interesting because you have to have some level, I have some level of self-awareness that these things I'm talking about are only going to be interesting to other people who are also on my wavelength. A lot of people are going to be like, what? It's a watch, dude. Who cares? And <laughs> <Yeah>. I, <laughs> you're right. Like, I totally get it. That's part of where I, as, as you mentioned before, when I say nobody needs this, I'm aware of that. And, and I'm also aware of, of, you know, the fortune that I have where it's something where I get to say, I would prefer to wear this one instead, so I will. Not everybody has that too. And, and yeah. for me, that's a celebration in some ways of this technology and what it can do for you and the way that it can uh, bring some joy and some pleasure and not just fascination and not just shiny object syndrome, you know, into our right. lives. I do have to say that. So the very first video I watched from yours was the series six unboxing and review. And like, I watched that video and I was like, I'm going to go buy this watch right now. Like the way you laid it out and the way you explained it, like I have zero need obviously for, for an Hermes watch, but the way you explained it and the way you talked about, you know, your relationship with the watch and how it interacts with your day. Like I, I read one of the comments and it said you could sell Esco or ice to an Eskimo. And I was <laughs> yeah. like, that is exactly right. That is, yeah. that is a great description. Which is fascinating. I mean, I'm not, I'm not out to make, I'm not trying to make a case for anything. I, uh, and a lot of people comment and they're like, I'm getting the aluminum, whatever. Hey, you're going to love that watch. It's great. Like there's no, this isn't yeah. a contest or anything. And you know, you mentioned cars before. There are people who are really into fishing rods and they know what yeah. to look for and they understand the subtle nuances. And there's people who are into hiking gear or fill in the blank. I mean, whatever it is that drives a person that person gets to have a sophisticated view on those things based on experience and time spent and, you know, different, uh, different perceptions had over years and years and years. That's what I am with technology. I know this stuff. I know it deeply and I have opinions about it that are informed. And at this point in my life and career and sort of relationship with technology, I'm making choices about what I'm going to spend time with. When I can, yeah. not always, but when I can, I'm going to make choices about those things. And that's just what, for me, the Hermes Apple Watch is clearly a luxury item, but it's a choice that I make because I enjoy it. That's a, that's a great description. I, I love that answer. And again, it really encapsulates what, what kind of grabbed me about that video. Um, I kind of want to go off on that question too, because we kind of talked a lot about the Hermes side of it, but I mean, just kind of open it up a little bit. Why do you even wear the Apple Watch? What about the Apple Watch appeals to you? Oh, man. I think about this sometimes because the, especially we're right on the eve of um, 
We're actually a couple days away. This morning, in fact, <laughs> pre-orders yep. began yep. for iPhone 12. The iPhone has become less essential because its primary interface for me is my Apple Watch. So mm. again, I'm like, I'm in the whatever point something nerd percent because I use it for as many things as I can. And in, in some ways, I was just thinking about this today, it's replaced my need to pick up my phone and look at it because I can control mm -hmm. my music, my messaging, uh, you know, certain automations. I can get information or insights on certain things. It's only when I want to choose to scroll through a website or whatever that I really need to pick up my my, wa my phone and start to engage with it. But the, the watch for me is my primary mode of lifestyle and professional communication. I use it for texting. I use it to make calls. I use it to, uh, when I go for a run, I use it for all my fitness and activity stuff. I stream my music to it and from it. When I start music from my phone, like in my headphones, I control it from my watch. It's just, it's, it's as essential to me as, as iPhone, as an extension of iPhone, but really as kind of its satellite control pod. You know, I don't need to pull out the right. phone anymore and do very much with it which helps me to have a more empowered relationship with the phone. I mentioned in, I don't remember which video, but in some video I mentioned having a relationship with the phone that can be uh, a t uh, one with tension for me because it's, it's constantly mm. wanting me to do something I maybe didn't sign up to do in that moment. Like, oh, here's a link to hit, or here's a, <laughs> I, I, I'm sure people can relate to this. How many times have you taken oh, yeah. you're taking it for, to do something and you find yourself three minutes later, like, what, what was I even doing in the first place? What am I doing right now? And right. I don't like that. I don't like when that, I don't like when those experiences happen to me. And uh, it, so I it's try crazy to how that. universal those those experiences are, because I was actually just thinking of, a, of an example as you were saying that I was like, that happened to me at work today. I was on my lunch break. I was like about to get back into the flow of it. And then I just like opened up Instagram for some reason. I think it maybe there's a badge on it. Maybe it was the way the color looked on the app. I don't know. But I started scrolling and I look up and like 10 minutes had passed. I'm like, yeah, what, did, what just happened? Like, what, what did I just do? And I think um, that's I think that's too bad because we don't we, we don't get bored anymore. Like we never, yeah. we're never quietly like in our own heads anymore. We're, we're distracting ourselves with, you know, something we're never just like, can you imagine being on a bus and just looking out the window? You just don't do oh, that. Oh God, no. You know, you just don't do <laughs> And, and there's, that's when good things can happen. That's when you're having interesting ideas about something. And we don't do that anymore. We have to like retrain ourselves to be quiet and still. And I, that's part of my struggle with, with iPhone and with smartphones and the devices in general is how do you have, again this relationship with them where they are bringing you something of that's productive, but also personalized and also, um, you know, not destructive. And, yeah. uh, you know, I, tr I try to overcome that. Apple Watch helps me do that because it limits my abilities to do things that are otherwise distracting. It just gives me what I need in the moment that I need it. That's one of my, one of the reasons I've really come to love it. I didn't expect to love it that, that much when I, when I started wearing it, I thought, oh, this is interesting, of course, but it's really kind of mm -hmm. essential for me now. I've definitely noticed a, a correlation with screen time, like from the time. So I bought the Apple Watch SE, um, I think a couple of days after it came out cool. to upgrade for my Series 3. And so I started wearing it like every single day. Like I like my classic analog watches, but I just haven't worn them as much because I love the Apple Watch SE so much. And you can notice a direct correlation on the screen time on my iPhone from the time I got it, like you can see all those hours slowly start to trickle down because I just stopped using it quite so much. Interesting. And, and like you said, it's it's the primary interaction. So if I get a notification, I can say, oh, I don't need to even pick up my phone for that. 
Because then you get in the cycle of, oh, I need to check Instagram, check Twitter for absolutely no reason. So, right. I mean, it, it makes total sense. And so to kind of go with that, I mean, do you see the Apple Watch as more important long-term than the iPhone? Well, I've got a crazy, do you want to hear my crazy Apple theory? This is my... I would love to. I've never shared this out loud. I plan to make a, a video about this. At some Ooh. point on the YouTube channel. Well, this will come so. out next. This will come out probably next Thursday or Friday. So you got some time. Okay, I got some time. <laughs> I, I, I probably won't get to it. But here's what I think. Uh, Apple has something called the U1 chip that is in its latest generation and a half of devices. Mm -hmm. And and real briefly, it. If you imagine Bluetooth, we all are we all are all blindfolded and we only know that other people are in the room. The U1 chip lets us know exactly where somebody is in the room. So we can right. have a sense of proximity in space to other devices. So it started putting the U1 chip in lots of different things. And it's going to, it's in the new Series 6 uh, and it's uh, in the new iPad, it's in the new iPhones. And mm -hmm. I think over time... Uh, it's in the new uh, HomePods, the little ones that are coming out. These alleged. Oh, I didn't AirTags. know that actually. I did not know that. Yeah. And well, I guess so, I guess it needs it needs it for like the tap, uh, the little tap like nearby feature. Yeah, that's what they're using it for now. Like kind of, you know, interesting, but yeah. not. What I think is happening in the next eighteen months. This will be great because either it's going to be look at this dude or this look at this dude. But you know, I think in the next <laughs> whatever eighteen months to, to twenty four months, um, I think Apple's going to put out some glasses. And if you imagine um, what we're used to with like virtual reality, where you've got these weird goggles and then you're holding these weird joysticks and then you're moving around, I think I think Apple is is creating an ecosystem around us without us knowing it. So that when the glasses come out, you can use the lidar that's on your new iPhone Pros and on your new iPad Pros and scan an environment like your room, and then you can use these devices maybe these upcoming devices and home pods and whatever else that have the U1 chip so they'll know where they are in space uh, in relationship to each other. And now mm -hmm. on your left hand or your right hand, you have another device that knows where it is in space. And now if you imagine you're in some virtual reality, you already have the quote unquote glove or joystick. It's already on your wrist. And so, mm. uh, yeah, so I think that all of this is going to combine into the next crazy thing that we'll be doing five years from now when we'll say, remember that podcast when this guy talked about it, <laughs> you know, and I think that Apple is putting this U1 chip, which it's been kind of quiet about, like it's got the U1 chip, which only, you know, it has kind of real modest, interesting, it's, you know, helps you to do, you know, start right. your car with it or something. I don't think that's very interesting. I think down the road, Apple's going to put out these glasses and then say, and most of you already have what you need to get started today. <laughs> that's what and I think. It's, it's, the, it's the Steve Jobs moment where he's like, do you get it? It's all three in one. It's a email communicate. Exactly. All right. I want to know, I want to hear your sources on the inside. Yeah, that's I got no I sources. I'm not, I'm not one of those guys. <laughs> and uh, it wouldn't surprise me if it was happening. So I think that iPhone and Apple Watch We'll continue to have a really close relationship, but, you know, we've seen with 4G and, you know, down the road, two generations, we'll have 5G in the, in the Apple Watch, I suppose. And it will mm -hmm. continue to be able to live autonomously, comfortably autonomously from, from iPhone. We're not always going to carry around slabs of glass in our pocket. Like, that's not going to be yeah. what we do for the rest of our lives. It's going to be glasses or a watch or a combination of headphones and glasses and watch. All these things that Apple's doing now, it's going to pay off at some crazy experience down the road 
I can't wait for that because I remember when the first uh, iPhone came out, it was, what, 2007, so I would have been 11 years old. And, of course, I remember it being, like, a big event, and I remember, like, people getting iPhones, and you'd see them in public and be like, what the hell is that? Like, can I see that real quick? And they'd be like, no, you can't touch it. But, um, but yeah, I can't wait for another one of those moments because we've been talking, not us specifically, but, like, the tech community in general has been talking for years now. It's, oh, phones are boring. When's the next thing going to come out? So, when the next paradigm shift happens, I agree. I think it's going to be something AR-based. It's going to be something glasses-based because when you think about it, if you have glasses on your on your face and covering your eyes, suddenly everything becomes a screen. Everything becomes an information point. So if you have an Apple Watch that's powering it and it's the hub for it, just like your iPhone is kind of like the hub for your Apple Watch right now, um, you know, that opens a whole world of possibilities. So I think you're exactly right. I think that's the future we're headed towards. And I didn't think about that U1 chip. I, I hadn't thought about that yet. So that's, that's pretty clever. Yeah, that for me is the clean. That's how I feel like they've got, to, and, and, you know, the spatial audio that came out with the AirPods uh, a couple weeks ago. So now when you turn your head, it still knows where the sound source is. And the U1 that is that so chip, cool. And the U1 chip will be in upcoming headphones. So now you can imagine that if you and I are in this virtual environment together and you walk into my quote unquote room, I'll be able to hear where you are in space if I've got my headphones are because... Uh, if I've got my headphones on because the U1 chips will be talking to each other. I mean, there's just, it seems obvious to me that there's something really cool cooking up. Don't know what it'll be. Maybe I'm way off, but I think the relationship between (laughs) devices is going to become more and more and more important. Yeah. Yeah. Which is again, another huge advantage that Apple has because I think Samsung could do it and they obviously have like the reach of, you know, the entire South Korean government, but like there's a, there's, there's a distinct advantage to in that future, um, to being in the position Apple's in. So I think that's incredibly um, interesting. Um, so I kind of want to draw it back to, to present day because we're not there yet, obviously. Um, so this is, this is a sort of different question. It has to do a little bit with more collaborations, tech and luxury brands. So famously, there was a dispute between Johnny Ive and Tim Cook when the first Apple Watch was announced. Uh, Tim Cook wanted the Apple Watch to be, this is all allegedly, to be as attainable as possible for mass adoption, where Johnny Ive saw it as kind of a classic timepiece and that the price and the design should reflect that. So I want to know, where do you stand on that whole form over function argument when it comes to the Apple Watch? Like where, where is that balance, if that's even the right question? It's a really interesting topic. And in some ways it's in some ways it's uh it's dependent on relationships with luxury brands to give it some of that credibility and i know mm-hmm. johnny ives had a really um you know he kind of had this orological perspective and and he had studied timepieces and he had a lot of perspective on it that that level of of detail and that level of attention to where uh, the origins of the device are, you know, mm. uh, looking at classic timepieces and letting that inform the, the crown, you know, the digital crown that's on the Apple Watch, which I think was a, a, a major, that I can just see Johnny Ives, that's got his, his kind of fingerprints all over it. We've mm. moved to a place and, where in all of technology where we're spending less and less time with those details. And we're spending more and more time with I, I, and I mean the mechanical or the industrial engineering details. We're spending more and more mm-hmm. time with the the things you and I just talked about, the technology fabric, the the possibilities of connection, and less and less time with um, how a thing feels and looks and, and where it's made. And I don't know 
I don't know how that's going to resolve itself, but I'm really interested in, um, I've become really interested in brands like Bang & Olufsen, who make kind of mm-hmm. high-end premium audio uh, gear that is weird. Like it's, it's, it's I, nobody makes stuff like this these days anymore. And they've been doing it since 1925, but they, mm-hmm. they're very careful with their design still. And they're very much pulling from, this is what we did in the fifties, or you can see our 1970s turntable, you know, echoing <laughs> back here. I love that. And we don't have it. We don't have it. Sony could do it cause they've got a long, you know, history of that, but they're not doing, they've got a new signature series where they're doing some of that, but we don't have very many brands anymore, like an Apple, like a Sony, like a Bang & Olufsen, who have the capability to pull from and the design taste to pull from um, this sense of immaculate sort of well-thought-out. You, you, I put a video together with comparing the iPhone 4 to the iPhone 12, and Steve Jobs mm, introduced yep, yep, the yep, iPhone yep. 4 saying, this is like an old Leica camera. You would just never hear that in an Apple presentation today. And that's not a bad no, thing. No. It just isn't where they are as a brand. They're not interested in the shape of a thing as much as they have to be interested in how does it work with our services and with our other devices and with our you know, 17 other products. And I, I get it. I'm not critical of that at all. I think that's important. That's what we consumers are looking for. But I do miss and admire the days where the material design was top of mind. And I think that was unique for Steve Jobs and Johnny Ives. I think that was a unique time of Apple's, you know, sort of story. I don't think we're coming back there. They'll never design like awful stuff. And I don't mm-hmm. think Samsung, you know, that's not their forte. That's not Google. That's not what they do. Uh, Microsoft coming out with the Surface 2 headphones has a ton of taste Ugh. with those. You know, like I didn't expect that at all. But <laughs> yeah, we just that was, don't that have was a different, different sort of look. Yeah, but we just don't have, you know, Bose isn't going to do it with their next, you know, with the 800s. Like nobody's doing that kind of stuff anymore. We've kind of gotten into other ways of thinking about the technology. And I guess that's interesting and necessary, but I miss, I miss the old stuff. And so let me ask you, cause the iPhone 12 announcement just happened. Um, we're recording Friday, what I say, October 16th. Um, so the Apple event just, just happened this week. So let me ask you this. Are you more excited for the, cause you, you mentioned that video too, and you said this very specifically and it's a subjective choice, but you really liked the design of the iPhone five. You liked how the materials were put together. You liked how, how it kind of came together as a package. So are you more excited for the hardware upgrades, like just physically designed, not even like camera hardware upgrades, but are you more excited for design upgrades than anything else for the iPhone 12 this year, software included? It is, uh, it is really near the top of my list. I haven't been excited about (laughs) an Apple product like this, but seriously, maybe in a decade, like it, I'm very excited about the design of this. And again, it goes back to, my perception of how I feel using a product. I love the colorways that they came out with. I love the material design. I love their attention to detail that I feel like uh, was really intentional with the iPhone 12. So I'm very excited about this. I have a, I, I, it's been a long, long time since any of us have had to stand in line for an iPhone, but I might've stood in line for this iPhone because I really am excited about it in ways that I haven't been excited about. I've always looked forward to, and yeah, that's cool. And the technology is neat, but I just love the craftsmanship of this device. I hope it looks and feels as good as I expect it to. 
But yeah, I'm pretty fired up about this one. I think they did a great job with it, from what I can tell. I mean, it it, it looks stunning in those press photos, especially. I don't know if you're you're all for that gold color, but like that gold color, like Evan, he's a huge fan of gold. And as soon as he saw that picture, he's like, mm, I don't. I might put down a thousand dollars for that, just for the color. I mean, that that's the power that it has, like that that design, the the colors with it. And I was even joking when the Apple Watch Series Six came out because red is by far my favorite color. And so I saw that Series 6 red. I was like, oh, my God, that is going to be on my wrist. And then, of course, the rational part of my brain kind of took over. And I was like, do I really want a red watch all the time? And back and forth, do I need the extras on it? But, um, yeah, I totally agree. Like, design, as as frivolous as it can be to the utilitarian for phones and for technology, um, I'm there with you. Like, that, that is near the top of my list for this new 12 series. Yeah, and, uh, you know, you and me, I think, are, are two of those people where, for me, it's it's not frivolous as much as it's it's part of the designed experience. It's part of why I feel terrible putting a case on these phones and I avoid it as much oh, as I can because <laughs> people spend a lot of time fabricating the most like amazing thing they can only to have somebody throw a big honking otter box on it or whatever, which is cool. People do their things. I'm not critical of it. But for me, it's I always am. Can I avoid that? Can I avoid that? Can I avoid that? Because I, I just yeah. want to enjoy what this is and what it was meant to be. I feel kind of like... Um, I don't want to, I don't, I don't want to, this, this will sound way more grand than it should, but I don't want to put art behind like an ugly frame. And <laughs> yeah. that's what yeah. no, these I, devices I totally are that. for me. You know, there's something that should stir a feeling and when they do, which is rare, you know, it's more and more rare, but when they do, I really want to enjoy and respect that. It, no, we talked, we talked about that last, uh, last week, whenever we spoke to, and I wanted to bottle it for this exact reason is because I feel the same way a lot of the time. Like to me, a case, like if I'm in a, in a spot, like if I'm, if I'm working from home, if I'm, you know, recording the podcast, I'll probably take the case off of it because like, what's it going to do? Fall on the carpet, like, and, and be totally fine. Um, but I agree. Like I like feeling how thin the device is and the design of it. There's, there's a different sort of connection to it when you have the case off of it. But at the same time, I find myself like if I'm sitting in bed on my phone, like you shouldn't be doing that. But if I'm sitting in bed on my phone or if I'm taking it, like if I'm out golfing or if I'm out doing something else, I will throw a case on it just for the pure utility aspect of it. Like, I mean, I have Apple Care for my devices, but at the same time, I don't want to drop it and have to deal with it. So do you ever put a case on your phone or is it just like, nope, never not happening? No, I do. I've had to. I mean, I, it's worse for me to have a crack in the screen than to, you know have been stubborn about the the case, but I do, uh, generally, uh, use the case. Um, I do, uh, I do use a case sometimes because it's worse for me to have a crack in my screen than to have been stubborn about using a case. But what I typically do is just use a case if I'm traveling, if I'm going hiking or something like that, or if I'm going traveling so that I'll have less predictable sort of circumstances and I'll have my phone with me in weird pockets or whatever, but if I'm just around my house, like most of us are these days, or I've got a home office, uh, then my sort of circumstances are predictable enough where I don't generally use a, use a case. So most of the time, no, only when I'm kind of taking it out and about in a unique circumstance, then I, I will put a case on it. And honestly, I think that's kind of the best compromise, uh, like I was saying before, because you know, again, if, you, if you're at home, you're not doing anything, sure, case off, what's it matter? But if you're going out, like it makes way too much sense uh, to put a case on it. And at the same time too, like, you know, depending on the circumstance, a case does make a lot of phones easier to hold. Like, especially if it's grippy, like just from a pure usability aspect of your filming, if you're taking photos, like 
some cases do add just a lot of utility to it. And adds, it's a, it's an ease of use to that, um, you know, not having a case just doesn't afford you. I agree. Especially the last several generations of iPhone have been so round and kind of slippery that they've been, you know, they've been cool and interesting and I admire them and I prefer not to have it use a case, but they're way easier to hold if they're a little bit, yeah. they've got a little bit more rigidity to them. Do you use uh, Apple Care? Please tell me you do. Oh yeah. Yep. I do. I okay. do on anything that's portable. <laughs> You know, um, and not so much on like Apple TV, but definitely on anything I'm going to be carrying around. And I've used it enough where, you know, it's a, it's a, an insurance policy I'm glad to have. Yeah. Have you ever used a skin on your phone, like a D brand skin or anything like that? I have not. No, it's honestly, it's, it's kind of a nice compromise. Now, if you like feeling the materials of the phone, it obviously takes away from that. And I even kind of looked down at mine and I was like, because it covers the sides, it covers the aluminum frame and the glass in the back. So it does kind of take away from that a little bit. But at the same time, it does give a lot of grip while maintaining the thinness. I was just, I was curious if you ever had uh, had ventured into that. Um, so kind of like we were talking before, your most popular videos, they're centered around the Apple Watch. Again, specifically the, specifically the Hermes edition. Uh, and your most recent video, I think, is technically the first one to heavily discuss iPhones, at least as the center point. Um, so where do you see your channel heading in the future? No, it's interesting. We're just in Apple season and I sort of happen to traction really kind of has happened with the channel in Apple season. So I do have things to say about iPhone and I do have some things to say about some of these other Apple products, but they're always from a lens of, like I say, uh, the tips, techniques, learning and lifestyle of the modern marketing engine. There's mm-hmm. the review channels. I'm not going to do any better than what's being done out there. And it's not even... I'm not even necessarily interested in reviewing so much as observing and sharing those observations with those who, who either get it or don't get it. That's okay. I I don't mind the disagreements either, but I I have a lot to share in the channel. The channel really started from, um, with the exception of some, you know, early kind of marketing videos is I have a lot of people in my life who ask me, what is my opinion about this thing? In fact, on my personal Facebook Whenever a new product comes out, I put up a post. My friends kind of like know this for me and they say, hey, I really enjoy your PSA post because I'll say, PSA, you do not need to buy the new iPhone. The new iPhone. You should buy this. If you've got grandparents yeah. that would still love the home button, you should do this. Like I just yeah. kind of have this short paragraph of here's the question I keep getting. So, yes, you should go buy AirPods. They're amazing. You know, whatever. And so the the channel kind of started from my having opinions about that and then marrying it to the things I love to do. I, I enjoy sort of editing and filmmaking and, and it mm-hmm. reflects positively on, on my way of thinking with these things. So in my work, it's uh, I'm, I'm happy for it to represent me, you know, out there for people who are searching for me and then they find those videos and connect it to the services and uh, that I provide and the, the work that I do. But I think that the channel, my vision for the channel is uh, a lot of um, kind of brand studies so Apple mm-hmm. Hermes is a brand study. I've got one I'm cooking up on um, on Bang & Olufsen, as I mentioned. I've got one I'm cooking Ooh. up on Common Projects. Um, uh, they make sneakers. Uh, so there's. I'm really interested in, in high-end or luxury brands, not because I'm some sort of luxury brand aficionado. In fact, I'm not. I don't own a lot of that stuff. But I think it's fascinating how premium and luxury brands position themselves so that they're insulated from so much of where other retail spaces uh, suffer and struggle. They don't. Why is that? I'm interested mm-hmm. in digging into that and understanding that better. And I've got points of views and perspective. I've got a lot in my workspace that I've really carefully curated and how I do it and how my productivity. I mean, I've had a home office for close to 20 years. So I've, 
I have some opinions and perspectives, and I, I'll be sharing those in the channel. The technology that I use, why I use it, um, how, mm. I th how I've set stuff up, uh, why I've set it up that way, how I overcome certain obstacles or, or, or you know, issues. Those are all things that I get asked about enough or I think could be interesting enough or are unique enough where I'm going to share them. And, uh, and you know, those that are, are out there, I've been surprised how many people out there have, have enjoyed the videos because they feel like it resonates in a way that others don't. And that's cool. Uh, yeah. that's kind of what I'm about. And so I'll probably just, I don't have some grand plan. I'm just going to keep sharing the things that are interesting to me. And I, I'm not, I'm not committing to like, uh, a weekly thing. It takes time to do some of what right. I do. So I do it as, uh, as I'm able to get the narrative out that I want to share in an intelligent and cohesive and cogent way so that people can benefit from it. And then, you know, hopefully engage so that I can learn from them as they're thinking about it or, how they respond to it gives me new ideas for the future. Yeah. And I'm, I'm really glad that we have, uh, well, I mean, just as a personal, I'm, I'm really glad that we have the, the phone Bus podcast because you know, I was, I don't know how I came across that video. I was probably watching some Apple watch stuff, but I clicked on it and it was like Apple watch or maze. I, I don't know much about that. And I watched it and I was like, you know, this, you know, Hermes stuff aside and, and you know, the luxury brands, uh, part of it aside, like again, just the way you were able to connect, you know, a lot of times we talk about specs and that's something we try to veer away from a little bit on the Phone Buzz podcast. But, you know, a lot of reviewers talk about specs. Um, they talk about, you know, kind of the more technical aspect of it. But you were able to connect how the technology fits into your life and, and the things you appreciate about the technology just as just as like any consumer would. Like, you know, you appreciate how, how the leather feels. You appreciate how it works with your iPhone, how it gives you back time. Those are perspectives that I haven't heard yet. And so that's, that's what really drew me to the channel. And so I wish you nothing but the best. Um, I think, I think your ability to put those messages together and put those stories together, it's, it's refreshing and it'll be fun to see what, what you can uh, cook up in the future. I appreciate that. I, I really, uh, I'm, I'm grateful for those words. Thanks. And you know, the specs, uh, we, we take for granted the, the science fiction that is around us every day. And, and when we get critical of specs, it makes me feel like we've lost the plot a little bit because this stuff is crazy. Mm -hmm. Like, can you believe this? Uh, my grandpa, who's 98 years old, has an Apple Watch. What? Like, that's amazing. You know, and <laughs> I'm not. He probably has a thousand questions for you. God he bless does. You. <laughs> he does. But it's awesome because this dude, you know, he was around like when cars were in their infancy. And, you know, I mean, it's I don't take for granted for a second that this stuff is really cool. And, you know, if I start to lose the lose myself in the weeds of, you know, uh, but you know, we could be scrolling faster. That's true. And we will be, but that's not the most interesting to me thing to me right now. You know, uh, 120 Hertz. You, you're hitting my heart a little <laughs> bit right there. Just a little bit. Once again, uh, Chris's YouTube channel is not really rocket science. Is that the best, uh, best place for people to find you? Uh, yeah, I'm at not really rocket science.com. If you want to, you know, learn more about my day job, but would love to see on the YouTube channel, throw a comment in and said, Hey, mm -hmm. I heard you at phone buzz and Christian Isle, high five. Boom. Chris, thank you so much for coming on the show. This was a lot of fun. Uh, we appreciate you sharing your perspective and taking the time to talk with us. Thanks, guys. Really enjoyed it. Absolutely.